This is Perspectives, the show where a look at the ways we might be different will often end up showing us how much we really do have in common. I'm Condis Presley. Fellas, today's show is for you. Ladies and significant others out there, our content today is going to help you with the men in your lives, be it your husband, your dad, or your brother. Our guest is Dr. Daniel Shasha. He is the new Medical Director of Radiation Oncology Programs at Northside Hospital's Cancer Institute. We've been talking even before the show began. He is a world-renowned prostate cancer specialist. He has great information to share with everyone listening today. And Dr. Shasha, first thing I just want to ask you is, how did Northside get so lucky to get you to relocate from New York and set up this program in Atlanta? Well, in fact, I couldn't say... Uh, how they got lucky. I could just say how I got lucky. Uh, I was very fortunate to be invited to come here um, with a phone call recruiting me from New York City where I practiced for 20 years and treated about 4,000 patients for prostate cancer. Um, and they brought me down here with an opportunity that was tremendous. Uh, Atlanta is a city that is growing uh, by leaps and bounds. Culturally, it has so much to offer, and I'm so pleased to be here. But one of the things that brought me down with a background in prostate cancer is the fact that half of the population, more than half of the population, this is a city that is minority majority, meaning that I think the number is 55% of Atlanteans are African American. uh, And that does not leave the other 45% being Caucasians. There is great cultural and racial diversity in this great city. Um, But the fact that there are so many African Americans as a prostate cancer expert drew me here because there would be a clear need for uh, treatment, diagnosis, and advisement within that community specifically. So honestly speaking, it was the draw of the African-American community uh, that brought me into the Atlanta area. We know going back to the Vietnam era, our proud veterans that came home, uh, unfortunately not alive, a lot of those men had autopsies. What we learned in the 70s was that 15% of men under the age of 25 have prostate cancer. Hmm. Needless to say, we very rarely see men under the age of 40 or 45 or even under 50 with prostate cancer because we usually don't look for it. The more you look, the more you find. Uh, As time has gone on uh, with the advent of screening tests like the blood test, PSA, which stands for prostate-specific antigen, our ability to find cancers has vastly increased. PSA was introduced back in 1985 to 1990. And at that time, we were diagnosing about 100, 120,000 men with prostate cancer per year. And about 40 to 50% of those men were being diagnosed at that time prior to PSA screening with cancers that had already spread and could not be cured. Since the time of PSA screening, we basically have di- we have started shifting the pattern uh, of stage at diagnosis from many men with very advanced cancers or incurable cancers to many more men with very early cancers. So the answer to your question is what happens over age and what is this business about active surveillance? The more we looked, the more we found, and we looked a lot. Now prostate cancer screening until recently was very popular in primary care doctors and urology offices to do, to offer, and we found a lot of prostate cancers. And now, as it turns out, more than half the men, closer to two-thirds of men, about 60% of men diagnosed with prostate cancer are diagnosed with early cancers. 
and the average age of diagnosis now is about 65 years old. Younger and African-American men and African-American men are more likely to be diagnosed not just at a younger age, but also with more advanced cancers at that age. And we don't know why that is yet still, do we? Not a clue. Well, we have, I, I should strike that, but we do, we do have a, we have some suspicions, we have some but clues, but we don't have the answer. Right. Not I, an answer. The audience knew what you meant. Right. So in the past, there was the one exam that no man wanted to take, and then we have the, the PSA screening, the blood test. Is there anything new in testing technology that helps you as a physician uh, give the patient options on what his next step should be? So PSA is a double-edged sword. We've learned that. Since it came out in 1985, literally millions of blood tests probably, I couldn't even begin to estimate, but millions of blood tests have been ordered. PSA is prostate-specific. It is not prostate cancer-specific. So when a man is found to have an elevation of PSA, anything that irritates the prostate can cause the PSA to go up. Could be an infection, could be a kidney stone or a bladder stone. It could be simple trauma to the prostate, like riding a bicycle or excitement of the prostate with intercourse. Any of these can cause a PSA to go up to various degrees. So an elevation of PSA is not a diagnosis of prostate cancer. Of course, the higher the PSA is, the more suspicious we become. There are normal age ranges and racial ranges that we vary to, but what we've learned is PSA is not the perfect test. Okay. Moreover, finger exam is not a perfect test. So what has developed in the last five years are blood tests that can be added to the PSA that make the accuracy or the predictive capability of an abnormal PSA um, more compelling in terms of us physicians or healthcare providers to recommend a biopsy. So PSA may be ordered, but other tests, other blood tests or urine tests can be added to an abnormal PSA to help us direct on who should undergo a biopsy and even what the prognosis and, um, and treatment recommendations might be. So how... I want to go back to how a man initially gets the screening if he doesn't go to, say, an opportunity where there's a van or a truck or something and it's a, a big special day and men are being invited to come out and just to be screened. Is it something that he should ask for in a routine doctor's visit if he were to be a routine doctor visitor? Or do the, how do you not end up waiting to have to see someone like you? So the funny thing is prostate cancer is probably the easiest test for patients to be screened for. And you talk to women what they might have to go through with mammograms and yeah, with gynecologic right. pelvic exams. You know, anecdotally, I'll tell you that when women come to my office with men and I tell them, you know, now's the time I'm going to have to put a glove on, the women always smirk and laugh and the men always smirk and cry. Um, but the reality is a blood test and a finger exam are the easiest means to diagnose any cancer. A colonoscopy is more involved, but is definitely recommended. Mammogram is more painful, definitely recommended. But a simple blood test and a simple finger exam, and a finger exam doesn't even have to be done. It's recommended, but if men, it's better to do something than nothing, a PSA alone, would be a good indicator if there's cancer, and that can be done by anybody. 
can be done by a nurse practitioner, it can be done by a physician, just need to have that discussion with whoever's taking the blood, ask for it, ask if it should be done, and then ask what um, is involved to get the results, and make sure you follow up and get those results. When you do the test, know that the PSA results will vary in different laboratories and different doctor's offices will have different results. So it's important to try to do the test in the same office every time. Write it down somewhere, get a copy. So we don't just look at the number on a given moment in time, but we look and see if it changes. The PSA is rising. That might be a, a trigger that something might be amiss. It mm -hmm. might be an infection. It might be a cancer. If the PSA is high the first time, the first thing we do is repeat it. Because if it goes down, then we might just ignore it. So we look at the trend over time as well. So it's the absolute number and the trend that, that will trigger further evaluation. How do you go about determining who should be treated and who should not be treated? Who can be cured and who cannot be cured? Boy, that's a, that's a big question. Um, let me start by saying that we don't, the, the, just as cancer does not discriminate, it affects all men, young and old, white and black, um, and of all faiths, the same is true of treatments. There is no evidence that any individual treatment, surgery versus the various forms of radiation, are superior between the two. We have individual studies that will favor one, we have biases that will favor one over the other, but there's really no evidence. So treatment, the decision who to treat, how to treat is based upon three factors. It's based upon patient diagnosis, and that diagnosis includes a blood test result, the PSA, and other ancillary sophisticated tests that we alluded to. It's based upon the diagnosis with the biopsy that we call a Gleason score, and that is evolving, but basically what the doctor sees under the microscope. And it's based upon whether the cancer has spread, and that is determined with various x-ray technologies, which have greatly evolved in the past few years. Um, if the cancer is within the prostate and very early, a man at any age may choose to be not treated. So the third factor that goes into it, we said, is the um, patient. Mm -hmm. I've forgotten what I said. Well, well, you said, well, I don't know. This is fine. Patient preference, what did I give you? I give you patient preference? You, you gave me the, the diagnosis based on what we see in the test, the the biopsy, which you see under the microscope, and whether or not. The diagnosis of cancer. So the cancer that's is factor one, so. Yeah, those are the so factors. So the first factor is the diagnosis of cancer. The second factor would be the patient's life expectancy. Mm -hmm. And some elderly men have a very long life expectancy, and some young men, unfortunately, have a shorter life expectancy. So we look at the overall health condition. You know, does the patient have diabetes, smoker, any major health events recently? And the third factor is patient preference. And it doesn't necessarily have to go in that order. So patient preference is very important. And when I say patient, I mean the patient and his partners or support community. So it's not a decision that any individual should make on his own. You need to surround himself with family, friends, loved ones. I'm hearing you say it's very important to ask a lot of questions. Prostate cancer, like all cancers, affects, not, it's like a drop in, of a stone in the water. There's a ripple effect. It affects 
not just the person going through it, but very often just as much and sometimes more the loved ones around us. We see it time and again. The spouses, the partners, the children, the parents, the, the students, the work colleagues, the, the preachers, the, the, the parishioners, everybody's affected and it just goes downstream. So, you know, we all draw our support from different areas and people know where their best support is, is best coming from. But I think it behooves patients to do their homework. The yeah. good news is prostate cancer is a very, almost always, a very slowly gr- progressing disease. There's always weeks, usually months, uh, available to make a informed decision, which means tapping all the resources. Talk, you know, bring your support community, bring your spouse, bring your children. See not just one specialist, but multiple specialists. So very much value in second and perhaps third opinions. Yeah, and you know, there. Are, when we say opinions, we're talking about first opinions would be from each specialty. We can treat prostate cancer with radiation. We can treat prostate cancer with surgery. We can heat it. We can freeze it. We can do all kinds of things to to kill it. And different doctors offer different treatments. So patients should speak to the individual doctors that offer individual therapies. And they can hear the same information from different doctors and get two radiation opinions or two surgery opinions because different people have different biases. But that's always very important the spouse or partner to come is very important because four ears is better than two. There's a lot of information, a lot of details, emotions are high, and it helps people to hear things twice objectively and come back and ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Because whether you're talking about surgery or talking about radiation, each of those treatment options has dedicated consequences. Is that correct? Absolutely. Um, like my father used to say, you don't get something for nothing. Everything comes at a price. And, you know, the options for prostate cancer, as we started by saying, the good news is many patients with prostate cancer who have early disease or who have, unfortunately, relatively short life expectancies may not need to even be treated for prostate cancer. We have clear evidence that those early cancers have very low potential to spread or cause harm even within 10 years after no treatment. There are other kinds of cancers based on the PSA and the Gleason score and other tests that we do now that can spread. So we have to look at the diagnosis and the life expectancy. But treatments can affect three main areas. And I think it's three areas that patients generally focus on when they come to our offices and should always ask about. Uh, They should always ask about the experience of the people in that office, how many cases of those individual doctors and nurses treated. It's really important. The more people do, the better they get. They should ask about the side effects and the success rates. And what's really important, success is measured by cure. Cure is determined by PSA, non-rising PSA. And in that setting, um, there's no evidence that surgery is better than radiation or radiation is better than surgery for most patients. So patients should pick a good doctor or a team of doctors and choose their therapy based, therefore, not necessarily on the one that has the highest cure because they all have pretty much the same cure rate, which generally is pretty high, Um, but based on the side effects. So what are the side effects? The side effects include three domains. One is urination. Second one is sexual potency. Then the third one is 
overall quality of life or sense of well-being. Um, so in terms of urination, patients would talk about rates of incontinence, inability to control urination or calling it leakage. We also call it incontinence. May require something as small as a paper towel may, or as, as big as a diaper. May need that once a day or several times a day. So patients should establish what are the rates of partial incontinence or total incontinence and no incontinence. Fortunately, most treatments have low rates of incontinence. Unfortunately, all treatments come with at least a very tiny risk of incontinence some of the time. Um, the second thing to consider is effect on sexual ability. Um, all treatments, because the prostate is the center of a lot of activity for men. Mm -hmm. um, it serves to help us control our urination. When we damage it, we can lose control or we can block up. So two things can happen. We can pee too much or we cannot pee at all. Those can be consequences of therapies. But it also has a very active sexual function. There are sexual nerves that run around the prostate. There are blood vessels that supply that area of the body and both can be damaged by any of the treatments. And when that happens, a man can lose his ability to perform. The good news is with many of the um, drugs on the market. You expected my question because I, I was going to ask you, and I said, this may sound like a dumb question, but if that is a side effect that a, a patient experiences, can that side effect be, be countered by some of those, the ads that we see everywhere, the, the medications that are out there for erectile dysfunction? Well, Yes, it always can be fixed. I'm reminded of uh, the 1970s show, Steve Austin, The Bionic Man. So there are extremes where we can rebuild. <laughs> Fortunately, those are usually not necessary. Um, most men after radiation, if they are capable before the radiation treatment, will retain their potency with, these, with or without these medications. Okay. Um, most men after surgery, depending upon the surgery performed may or may not keep their erections, and they should speak to their individual surgeon about the results. But if the nerves are removed, then the potency is lost and the pills don't work. If the nerves are partially removed, then a minority of men will keep their potency. If both nerves are preserved, which is what most men are eligible for today, then the majority of men will be able to retain their potency with or without the pills. We're almost out of time. If there's one thing that you would want our audience to remember today about our conversation that they need to know, what would that be? So I think the most important thing for men to know when they've been diagnosed with prostate cancer is, number one, it can be cured, almost always. We diagnose close to 200,000 men with prostate cancer, and we cure almost all of them for at least 10 years. There are many new treatments coming out. Treatments are rapidly advancing. Technologies have greatly improved. Side effects have gone down. So the diagnosis of prostate cancer, fortunately, is rarely life-threatening these days. Secondly, pick your therapy and your doctor carefully. Do your homework. Talk to friends. Talk to families. Seek out support groups. Talk to your spiritual counselors. That's all important. Involve your spouse and your partner. But at the end of the day, I think it's very important to not just use the web because the web has biases, but hear the opinions from the thought leaders, the people who do a lot of this. See a urologist who's treated a lot of prostate cancer. 
see a radiation oncologist who's treated a lot of prostate cancer, and be aware that they probably are going to recommend the therapy that they do for a living. But be aware also that either of those choices will offer a very comparable chance of curing you. The difference is in the chance of side effects. And to discern the rates of side effects, you should go back and forth, create a list. You can find books on this. You can find websites on this. The American Cancer Society has very informative websites. The National Comprehensive Cancer Network, nccn.org, has a very patient-friendly portal, which also provides a lot of this information, including complementary, we didn't talk about that, integrative sort of ways of treating Eastern medicine, dietary things that can be done to help patients, but you want to compare side effects. And what I advise patients is you're picking your poison. You're picking the therapy at the end of the day that you don't want the least. Nobody wants treatment, so you're eliminating the first of therapies you absolutely don't want. So some people say that they don't want therapy A because it has side effects that they just don't want. Other people don't want therapy B because it doesn't have side effects. So eliminate the things you don't want, and whatever remains are your options. But make sure you talk about active surveillance. Are you a good candidate for active surveillance? Um, Seek out an opinion from a primary care doctor, your family doctor, your internist, a medical oncologist, none of whom are invested in prostate cancer treatment, all of whom come with their own perspectives on prostate cancer treatment. Talk to a urologist who specializes in prostate cancer and talk to a radiation oncologist who specializes in prostate cancer and put all that information together. And this takes time and don't be afraid to spend and invest the time because this is a long-term investment that you will win, but you will win best if you make the choice that's right for you. And I tell patients that they are their decision, their own influence is as important on um, the treatment as is any doctor's recommendation. Treatment for prostate cancer is generally a long-term investment there's no benefit for most people in the first few years because prostate cancer is usually not life-threatening the first few years. Prostate cancer is life-threatening some of the time, many years out. It's a long-term investment. So like all long-term investments, they should be done thoughtfully, carefully, cautiously, and involve the people who are co-investors with you. Everybody will win. Our guest has been Dr. Daniel Shasha from the Northside Hospital Cancer Institute. He is the Radiation Oncology Program Medical Director. So glad that they invited you to relocate from New York City to our, our home here in Atlanta to set up this amazing program. You are a very, very smart man. Thank you for your time. It is a privilege and an honor. I am truly humbled. Thank you so much for your interest, and thank you. Perspectives is a half hour we produce with you in mind. If there's something you think we ought to be talking about, let me hear from you. Tweet me, my handle is Condo29 on Twitter, or leave a message on our Facebook page. We do appreciate your listening and hope you'll be back next week at this same time as we examine another perspective. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.